Okay, would you uh, please, I'm going to say Jude, but that's not what we're doing right now. It's a habit to say, let's turn to the book of Jude, and your Bibles pop open that way. So let's just try Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to spend time in verse 29 this evening, but I want to start reading in verse 22 and travel all the way to verse 32. Right? Ephesians 5, 22 to 32. And then once you see the text, you say, surprise, this is actually a marriage conference. And you didn't know it, did you? Well, no, it's not. But uh, if it does your marriage good, we won't complain. All right, Matthew five twenty-two through 32. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. This is where I want you to especially focus. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Heavenly Father, help us as we spend time in this hour and in the hours to come, as we spend time in this word, this wonderful word that you've given to us, that you might challenge our hearts thoroughly, because that's the thing you do. You change us, and we I hope and I pray, as even as we begin now, have set our hearts ready to hear what you would tell us and be ready to do what you call us to do. So challenge us again, as you so faithfully do, and show us your great love for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As I said, Dr. Richard Vargas is with us. He's the executive director of IFCA International. It's even on his blue shirt under his coat there. I saw that when he came in. You say, well, what is that? IFCA International. When I started understanding this group, it was the Independent Fundamental Churches of America. Independent makes sense, doesn't it? That means it's not tied to a denomination of sorts. It's, it's even made up of a bunch of independent churches. Uh, fundamental, that's the basics. That's down to the essentials, the important things. And it was based off of a, a, a book, actually, about that time, The Fundamentals was written. And it had a significant role in the founding of this group. Churches, you know what a church is, right? And America. Those are easy words to put together. Independent Fundamental Churches of America. It has quite a history to it, and you can find it on their website. Just go ifcainternational.com, I think. .org. .org. 
and you will find great information on the history as well. You know, they're almost 100 years old. Is that right? Coming pretty soon. 100 years old, a valuable ministry to Bible churches in all these years. Uh, a church like ourselves, we would value greatly. Uh, pastors, um, men in churches who left modernism, denominational rule and such like that, needed fellowship and association with like-minded uh, pastors and churches. And it, it's a blessing in a thousand different ways. My first encounter with the IFCA was back in 1990, and that was in Birmingham, Alabama, when I, I desperately needed that. I was a brand new pastor. I needed fellowship. I was a rookie. I had no idea how to preach or how to be a pastor, and they put me in as their pastor. But they didn't know what a pastor did either, so we were happy in our ignorance. Um, but uh, I learned very quickly how much I didn't know and how much I needed fellowship with others who were like-minded in the faith. And it wasn't many years after that, and one of the best blessings I've ever got from the IFCA was my dearest friend, Henry Bosberg. Uh, I learned of him when I was in Birmingham, and he's been very close to me ever since, and I appreciate Henry a great deal. I went to serve with him after five years in Birmingham in Indiana, I was a missionary pastor with the Indiana Bible Church Mission, now called MCE. But Henry was uh, part of that group, and I was working with Henry. And, and what was fun was that we had teamed up in the sense that the board members of the mission would help us rookie pastors in our jobs, and they would actually come and spend time with us and, and help us do some of the hurdles of a, of a church rescue work, which I was doing and the board member in charge of me was Les Lofquist. And uh, Les would, would come over. We called him Pastor Les at the time. He was pastor of a church in Warsaw, Indiana. My kids got to know him. They called him Pastor Les. And they would talk about Pastor Les quite a bit. And he'd come and spend time at our home and help me with ministry things. And then we learned one day that Les was going to be the executive director of the IFCA. Now... That was after they had changed their name from IFCA to IFCA International, and there was a lot of discussion about that. And I figured it really came down, among other things, I made it real simple. We weren't just America anymore. We were touching countries all over, Africa and Europe and other, all kinds of other places where ministries were going on and like-minded people. And America just didn't fit. <laughs> you just couldn't do it that way. So we talked about that, and I was trying to explain that to the kids one day when they said, well, what, what's Pastor Les doing now? What, what's he doing? And I said, well, he's overseeing a ministry that includes worldwide fellowship. Pastors all over, international and all that. And as you try to explain that to the kids, one of them finally says, you mean Les is in charge of the whole world? And, and it was just a great look on his face. I said, yep, that must mean what it means. So guess what you're doing, Richard? You're in charge of the whole world, and, and you folks get to meet the guy who's running the place. He's the executive director of IFCA International, and we're excited about him being here. He's also the editor of The Voice magazine, which if you haven't seen that before, it stays on the shelf downstairs of the, the foyer area. We have a shelf of magazines and things, and you're always welcome to grab that and, and enjoy that and read that through great articles, great articles. Uh, Wendy's with him, his wife, and we're glad to have you, Wendy, with us too. She's got roles. 
in the IFCA, the Women's Fellowship Coordinator and Chair of Fellowship Editor. And Chair of Fellowship is a great ministry to widows and widowers. It's, it's a ministry to those who have, uh, they're without their husband or their wife. And, and it's a great blessing and it's a good work. So we're glad both of you are here. Dr. Vargas has pastored in Southern California for 20 years before moving to Michigan, where the IFCA is centered around Grand Rapids. Um, graduate of Biola University, Master's Seminary. Uh, he was on faculty as well, faculty associate at Master's Seminary uh, for 12 years. He taught at uh, Master, he taught Master of Divinity and Doctor of Ministry courses. Um, and then he became the executive director of the IFCA in 2019. It's only been a handful of years. They've been married 30 years. They have four daughters. And uh, we are excited that uh, they're able to share this weekend with us. He's going to touch on topics like becoming a better Bible student. You'll hear that a little bit later. Depending upon the Spirit daily and the responsibility of the man of God. Some of the topics here get to... Uh, share with us. And my job is to warm you up. All right. Uh, the theme is feeding the flock. And that is one that's always been a favorite of mine, that whole concept of feeding the flock. Uh, 31 years ago, when I was uh, ordained for the ministry, it's hard to believe it's been that long, um, there was a dialogue from John's Gospel, a seaside conversation between the resurrected Lord and a disciple who failed him miserably. Remember who they were? Jesus and Peter. And in John chapter number 21, uh, the elder at my ordination service was uh, charging me uh, from that passage. And he read it from the King James, and that's always stuck in my head. So the words that he read was, So when they dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again a second time, Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love thee. And he said to him, Feed my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said it unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said to him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. And I put that on a a picture, actually a kind of a homely picture of a sheep. (laughs) He had a real long nose, and I found that in a magazine one day, and I put that, feed my sheep line underneath it and hung it on my wall in my office and it was there for many 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 years uh, until I was privileged to help a student pastor become ordained and go out into the ministry I gave him the picture and I said go feed the sheep and so some said that's always been a thought in my mind and, and what a privilege it is to my heart to feed God's sheep to take them into God's Word. There's a lot of favorite verses in Scripture, and, and my favorite one for ministry's sake is in Psalm 119. It's verse 130 that says, The unfolding of your words gives understanding or gives light. 
the unfolding of your words, and I've thought about that so many times, about how opening up this book and sharing with it, it gives light, it gives in, in, in understanding to the simple. And the men who have always inspired me, I'd call my heroes in the faith, were those who invested much in feeding God's sheep. They talked much about the ministry. They gave solid Bible teaching. And, and uh, I don't know how many different ways you could compare it to that of a shepherd with sheep and things like that. I kind of like to think of ministry like a chef preparing a feast. I take from the cupboard of God's Word, so to speak, and I carefully prepare according to the recipe, as accurately as I'm told. Uh, but the goal is to prepare a feast. So nobody goes home hungry. And that's a privilege we have with God's Word in in front of us. If I help you understand God's Word better, I'm thankful. If I have any part in encouraging you to love God's Word, I am truly glad that you do. If I could say, what is my topic today? It would be, do you love God's Word? Do you love... God's Word. You know, some days I stress that, don't I, in the church service. I, I, I stress the fact that we need to know God's Word. We, we studied from Jude like we do right now. Uh, we talk about the times we live in and the dangers that lurk out there and within the church itself and how we're prepared for such things because false teachers come in to destroy. And that's what they always do. And we must, must know God's Word and be built up in the most holy faith. I, I follow the commands of Scripture when I share that with you, showing you how we are to be obedient and spend much time in God's Word. And I try to model that for you as a student of the Word as well, because I take it seriously. And I believe my job is to equip the saints for the work of service. And we need to know this book. But I truly hope that when it's all said and done, that I've somehow played a part in your Love for God's Word. Some people obey without that love, don't they? I, I want to aim at your heart right now. And want to see what love you have for it. What, what excites you when you open it. There's a thing I put at the end of my notes. I thought, well, maybe if I get to it, I'll read it. But I'll do it now and then we'll just worry about lunch later. Um, Billy, Billy Sunday. You heard of Billy Sunday before? Some of you have. Billy Sunday was an evangelist many, many years ago, almost a hundred years, well, a little more than a hundred years ago now. Um, he lived in the 1800s, late 1800s. He died in 1935. He was a baseball player and converted by the Lord. A really incredible conversion at that that led him to become an evangelist. There was a home in Winona Lake, Indiana. And when I lived up there, some 10, 12 years ago or so. Um, it was just a few blocks from my house where we lived. You could walk down the, the road a little bit there and just above the park, and there was a home where Billy Sunday lived. And down below used to be a, a giant tabernacle he had built that had the old benches and the sawdust floor. And it was there in Winona Lake for many years, and conferences took place there and such like that. And it's now replaced with a museum. It's a whole lot smaller than it used to be. Uh, and the rest of the ground is a park. But 
Billy Sunday was known for his preaching styles. If I called it aggressive, that's an understatement. They said it was not uncommon for chairs to be broken during his sermon. And that was by him, by the way. Um, but if you want to read up on him and learn of his influence and how he ministered to the wealthy and to politicians and to the everyday variety, you could find he had quite an incredible ministry. But what he had left behind was what they called his tribute to the Bible. And you can't help but hear this and think, this man loved God's word and spent a lot of time in it. And I'm just going to read it to you just as it, it was written. Um, it says, 29 years ago... When the Holy Spirit, as my guide, I entered the wonderful temple of Christianity. I entered into the portico of Genesis, walked down through the Old Testament art galleries where pictures of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Daniel are hung on the wall. I passed into the music room of Psalms where the Spirit swept the keyboard of my nature until it seemed that every reed and pipe of God's great organ responded to the tuneful harp of David, the sweet singer of Israel. I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes, where the voice of the preacher was heard, and into the conservatory of Sharon, where the lily of the valley's sweet-scented spices filled and perfumed my life. I entered into the business office of Proverbs, and then into the observatory room of the prophets, where I saw telescopes of various sizes pointed to a far-off events, and all concentrated on the bright and morning star, which is the King of Kings. I caught a vision of his glory from the standpoint of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and passed into the Acts of the Apostles where the Holy Spirit was doing his work in the formation of the infant church. Then into the correspondent room where I saw Paul and Peter and James and John penning their epistles. I stepped into the throne room of Revelation where towered with the glittering peaks and caught a vision of the king sitting upon the throne in all his glory. And I cried, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. I like reading that. That inspires me every time I read it and I think through, this man loved God's word and, and to him it was an adventure. It was a walk. It was a journey. It was, a, it was always bringing them to Christ. And isn't that what God's Word is for? To take us right to the throne room of Christ Himself. I want to love God's Word. Do you? Love God's Word. Not just read it because it's on that thing to do this year, right? I'm going to read it through in my, my New Year's resolution. Not read it because the pastor told you to. Not read it because there's memory work required of you or such like that. Not read it as I did as a teenager out of a superstition that if I didn't read it, it's going to be the worst day of my life. And so I made sure I read it every single morning because I didn't want to be struck by lightning or hit by a car. That's a terrible way to treat God's word, folks, is to treat it like it was a superstition. I know we have the urgency to read and there's all that set before us. But I want to know if you're excited about God's Word. If you have a love for God's Word. I want you to take a look at that Bible in your hands right now. You got one, don't you? You see it there? 
You, you may have uh, a King James Version with you today. You might have a New American Standard like I do in front of me. You might have an NIV or an ESV. we got all kinds of initials uh, for different kinds of translations. You might have a Portuguese one, right, Ed? He carries something like that with him. If Anthony was here, he'd pull out 3,500 different ones because he's got it on his Gideon app, and he'd just pop them all up and say, I've got a lot of Bibles in my hand. And that's quite a privilege to have God's Word in the electronic form, too. To carry it on your phone or on a uh, you know, the computer screen. Right? We are so blessed with the abundance of God's Word and the ease in which we can get it. Consider, I've said this to you before here in the church, that there was a man in the 1530s who gave his life so that you could read the Bible in English. That was part of that song that Melissa sang as well. Uh, the martyr's blood that uh, was spilt just so that we could have God's word. And I don't take that lightly. I hope you don't either. It was a long time ago. But you know, even further back with 60 men that God had chosen, over the course of 2,000 years, really, to complete it, God said, I'm going to use these folks to write down every word that I want recorded in this book under the direction of the Holy Spirit. God's Word being written down. Why did He do that? Why did God take the time? And a lot of time at that. Why did He use these people? And there were a lot of people at that. Why did He do that? And how did it come that it be God's Word and that it be true from cover to cover? And how did it ever become so accurate through and through that it can never contradict itself? How is it that we've got such a magnificent book in our hands that according to God's Word is eternal? That's an amazing concept to realize. That's the book you're holding in your hand right now. That's the book that God has given to you. And there are multitudes on this earth, folks, and and it's truly sad to say so, who have never seen and never heard God's Word. They're still out there. Many of us will never become a translator. We may not go work for Whitcliffe. We, We won't go to Papua New Guinea or Brazil or Madagascar to teach God's Word to people. We may just be supporters, and we do that. We support a lot of people who go out there and share God's Word and translate God's Word. We need more people like that. That's a monumental work to do. But think for a minute. This is God's Word we're dealing with. It's God's Word, and if He didn't record it, we wouldn't have it in our hands right now, would we? It's His Word. And I want you to see something today. It's what Jesus is doing for you as a member of his body, as a member of his church. There in Ephesians 5, verse number 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does his church. What does Christ do for his church? I'll give you a clue. The answers are easy. They're right in the verse. He nourishes it. He cherishes it. Have you ever stopped and looked at those words? 
I mean, we, we fly by it because we're always caught up in this chapter saying, well, how do I become a better husband? How do I become a better wife? Well, what am I supposed to be? What's our roles and things like that? And we study it and we do conferences and all these other things. But stop for a minute and look at what it says about Christ and his church. If you go back to verse number one of this chapter, he says, Therefore be imitators of God, this is Paul writing, as beloved children. He's identifying the believers here. And I know he's writing especially to the Ephesian church here. But you can identify as a beloved child of God too through faith in Jesus Christ. You're a beloved child. Do you ever think about that? How much he loves you? How much he loves you? Doesn't that say a lot in Scripture? He loves you. He loves you. How do you know that? Look at verse number 2. After it says, And walk in love, just as Christ also did what? Loved you. And gave himself up for you. Gave himself up for you. He died for you. Do you need more evidence than that, that he loves you? He died for you. Jump to verse number 8. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You are light in the Lord. Children of light. What does that mean? It means we no longer walk in darkness. We're not identified with it anymore. So don't live like it. You want a little pastoral piece to that. Don't live like you're in darkness. You're in You're no longer here to please yourself. You're to do what verse number 10 says. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Where do you learn that? God's Word. You're not to be wasting your, your day. And I'm not supposed to be wasting my day. We're not supposed to be wasting our days. But we're supposed to be seeking the will of the Lord. Verse 17 says that. Do not then be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Where are you going to find that? It's in God's Word. It's in God's Word. What we're studying together today, in just a kind of a short start of our conference here, is that we are in a unique relationship with the Lord Himself. An incredible opportunity for us to know Him and His grace and to read and to study and grow in His Word that we might know Him more. Know Him more. Know Him more. And so the paragraph that we're looking at that includes verse number 29, that section from 22 to 32, talking about Christian husbands and wives and how they're taught to be subject to one another and in the fear of Christ, this This picture of a marriage is set before us, and it's useful because we understand that relationship, and we're trying to work through that relationship and understand its challenges or its blessings or uh, all that comes with it. But Paul uses this to launch us to a higher plane, doesn't he? He says, well, what I'm talking about is in reference to Christ and the church. And so he's using a picture for us to understand, and he keeps saying that phrase, As to the Lord, as to the Lord, as to the Lord. And you've seen it. You've studied this passage before. But here's what's very interesting. 
if you grasp it for what he's saying, he is not saying that our understanding of Christ's love from the church, for the church comes after we understand or is modeled after that of a husband and a wife. It's the other way around. The husband and wife's marriage is to be modeled after Christ. He's the standard, not human marriage. Christ is the standard for human marriage. You see the difference? So many times you go into it and study it from our viewpoint, and we say, well, that's what Christ is like. But actually, that's Christ, and this is what your marriage should look like. Husbands are to be head of the wife, it says in verse 23. And yet he says, just as Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body. Which one of those are guaranteed? Christ is the head of the church, right? Maybe the husband might be, maybe he won't be. But we know for sure Christ is the head of the church. We know for sure he's the Savior of the body. It says in verse 24 that the church is subject to Christ. In verse 25, it says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In verse 26, Christ sanctified the church. He's cleansed the church by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, Christ will present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spots, no wrinkle, or any such thing. She will be holy and blameless. Now think about the church today. And let me ask you a question. Do you think he can do it? (laughs) Absolutely he can do it. I think we're all going to stand there with our mouths wide open and say, Wow! When we see what he has done. He's not done. He's still working. But you know what that says to me? All these different verses. Christ loves his church. He loves his church. He's proven that in every single verse. He loves his church. So when you get to verse 28 and 29, where we're going to circle now. Christ also, or husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And you may be reading and thinking and thinking, but you know what, Pastor? I know somebody who hates themselves. Anybody have that thought? Don't confess. But people do that. They say, but I know somebody. He says, I hear no one ever hated his own flesh. You said, but I know somebody who hates himself. You know what? That's not normal. That is not a normal thing to do. The main point is simply this. We tend to our bodies. We take care of our bodies. We wash them. We feed them. We give them sleep. We feed them again. We get some exercise, and then we feed them. But we like to take care of these bodies. It's a normal thing to maintain the body. Take your vitamins. Take your medications. (laughs) We do those things. Why? Because we're trying to maintain our bodies. We, We continue to do that. It's natural for a man to care for himself that way. And so he just brings it out in the front. He says, well, a person who acts like that, it will show you that he could love his wife too. Once again, Paul's using that simple picture to explain Jesus Christ to us and his own love for his church. It is his body. Read verse 30. See it? That is his body. We are members of his 
body. Jesus Christ loves His church, so He will nourish it. Jesus Christ loves His church, so He will cherish it. No pastor has ever loved the church more than Jesus Christ loves His church. No one has ever nourished the church more than Jesus in the way He nourishes the church. And nobody ever cherished the church more than Jesus who cherishes His church. What I found very interesting when I was looking up those words and studying them through, there are just two simple items in that verse. Nourish and cherish. And both of them speak of an ongoing ministry. An ongoing ministry. It means He nourishes it. If you, if you put it in a present tense, it's really easy to see this way. He feeds it. It's, it, it's as if Jesus didn't just make one meal and say, well, that's enough. We'll leave it with that. Rather, he feeds, he feeds, he feeds, he feeds. He constantly feeds his church. And you know what? He loves doing it. He loves doing it. I'm not going to ask for confessions. But sometimes when it comes dinner time and you really don't want to feed the kids, nobody knows that feeling, do they? They're like, yeah, they've been bad today. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna feed them today. But, you know, Jesus never looks at his church and say, I'm not gonna feed it. I'm gonna feed it. I'm gonna nourish it. I'm gonna nourish it. I'm gonna nourish it. He's constantly feeding his flock. It's because that brings the church to maturity. And isn't that what he wants? He wants the church to to be brought up from infancy to full maturity. He wants them to grow greater in their understanding of him and in his grace and in his love. And he feeds them and feeds them and feeds them. He's got such a desire to feed his church. Nobody has ever had that desire like he did. He does it now. He is constantly investing in you when He is nourishing you in the faith. Constantly. He loves to see you eat from His Word. He loves to see you enjoy His feast. He spent all that time getting it ready for you to carry it in your hands. He loves His church. And He gave us the Word. I read to that, or say all that to you, because whoever wrote the book of, or the chapter 119 in the book of Psalms, they're studying that on Wednesday night, just started this last week. This man probably had only five books of the Bible to read. If I understand who he might have been and what time he lived in, I'm going to guess he had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Because he talks about the law all the way through there several times. And he talks about different words in relation to it. But how many of you have ever treasured the book of Genesis? Oh, he said, but I read it every January. And then I kind of, well, I got to Leviticus and then it's over, right? But how many of you treasure the book of Genesis? He wrote, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many of you have delighted in the book of Exodus? You say, well, that's kind of a hard book. It's about frogs and plagues and, and, you know, then it turns into a bunch of law. 
And it's like, oh, that's a heavy book sometimes when you ever... Have you ever delighted in the book of Exodus? This man did. He says, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. How many of you have ever asked the Lord to open your eyes and show you wonderful things from the book of Leviticus? How many of you have ever read Leviticus? No, don't answer. The psalmist said, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And he didn't say, except Leviticus. He found wonderful things and he wanted his eyes open. How many of you ever craved to read the book of Numbers? I mean, I don't know, it looks like a phone book sometimes, Right? You say, all those names and numbers, that's a hard book to read. The psalmist said, my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. He wanted into the book. He wanted into that book. How, how many of you have turned to the book of Deuteronomy to revive your soul? Really? Deuteronomy? The psalmist must have. He said, my soul cleaves to the dust, revive me according to your word. Here he's taking five of the books that we might consider to be the driest and hardest ones to work through outside of the narratives. And he's saying, that's my food. I love it. Matter of fact, it's sweet to me. I've got to have it. He doesn't even have the rest of the book that you have. There's a love that I, I love I love to talk about, and I aim at your hearts right now. Do you love God's Word? I'll tell you what. God loves giving it to you. Jesus Christ nourishes you through it. I know, I try to instill it in you. Here's a pastor standing up here and says, Eat! Right? It's almost like that's what I, I yell all the time and things like that. I can't nourish you like he does. He's a constant nourisher. If you lack an appetite for God's Word, talk to the author. How many other books can you do that with? Talk to the author. Tell, tell him you're being complacent about the, these things. Tell him that you, you want your heart to change. Tell him that you want to love what he is feeding you. This is a gift to you. This Bible is a gift to you. We sang the song just a little bit ago. The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. Makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. And they rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. And it endures forever. Don't you want something forever in a world like ours? The judgments of the Lord are true and they're righteous altogether. They're more to be desired than gold. Yea, even the finest of gold. They're sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. What else can be said when he's handed you this book and he gave his life for you that can add to this definition of love? He loves you. And he's given you something for you to learn of him and love him too. He says, Jesus Christ nourishes his church. That's an ongoing thing. He cherishes 
his church. Got to quit in a few minutes, but follow with me here. Cherishes his church. That's also a present tense verb right here. It's an ongoing thing. Thankfully, the Lord's love for us does not look like the stock market. Wouldn't that be crazy? You wouldn't know today, is it up or down? And you would be frustrated by that. But the fact is, this is ongoing. He cherishes, he cherishes, he cherishes. Just like he did last Sunday, he does it today. He's cherishing you. Isn't that a a precious little word? It's a picture of the tender love that a mother has for her little baby. A lot of you have been there. Two months ago, my daughter had her first little girl. And she cherishes that little girl. We got pictures. You want to see them? I got them on my phone. All kinds of wonder. The last one, she was smiling. Isn't that great? I just love that little green on that little Phoebe. Um, not Cessna. It's Phoebe. We, we had a bit of a deal with that, but that's another story. But her name is Phoebe, and, and she's precious, precious, precious. You ever give attention to a baby before? As a parent or as a grandparent or maybe an aunt or an uncle, you've held that little baby in your hand. And what would you do for it? What would you do for that child? You cherish. You love that child. All the attention you could give to it. Now put that in a simple picture and then understand that the Lord's attention toward you never, never fades. It never wanes. It never slows down. It never gets weaker. It's never going to wear out. He's cherishing and cherishing and cherishing his church all the time. Do you think he loves it? Do you think he carries in his billfold, if he had one, all the pictures of his children? Can you imagine that? Someday he's going to line them all up in heaven. These are mine. Ooh, give me goosebumps. He longs to be with his children. He can't wait for his children to be with him. But the reality is, he's with you right now. And he's cherishing you. Cherishing you. Not just giving you barely enough. Alright? Not just giving you enough food to survive, enough clothing and shelter, just to exist. But he feeds you, as one commentary put this, in a bounteous elaborate, unremitting, sympathetic way, his care for you is constant. Constant. Not just in feeding, but also in cherishing. Cherishing. He cares for you like no one on earth ever could. Peter tells us to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. Don't you love that refreshing phrase right there? He cares for us. The fact is, and I'm trying to say this, and I think you get it. His love for you did not stop at a cross. Yes, that's quite a display, isn't it? But it continues on to this moment, and it will all the way through eternity. Christ loves His church. He loves His church. Usually my appeal is, church, love Christ. But today, it's refreshing to go back to the foundation of it all and simply show you, Christ loves His church. Christ feeds His church. Christ cares for His church. And we repeat that, and we repeat that, and we repeat that, because in a world like today, we need to hear it. 
We have a little conference set up here for you, and Dr. Vargas gets to carry the weight of the load. He's talked about becoming a better Bible student. That's his book that God's given to you because he loves you. We're going to talk about depending upon the Holy Spirit daily. If Christ is loving me daily and feeding me daily, isn't that an appropriate response to trust him daily? If his Holy Spirit is working in us, don't we depend on him daily? And what's our responsibility when it all gets said and done? When we get into leadership, what do we do? And he's going to touch on the responsibilities of the man of God. It's a precious thing, folks, to be able to talk about God's Word. It's something I've been privileged to do for a long time. And like I said, if it helps you understand it better, I'm happy for that. But if it brings in you the heart's desire to love His Word more, I'm very glad for that. Because that's what I want to see us. People not just who attend a Bible church, but people who love the Bible. And that's why they're here. I hope that's why you're here this weekend too. So we're going to ask the Lord to bless our weekend. And in a few minutes we're going to go down to a dinner. So I'm just going to say the prayer for the dinner while I'm in it. Okay. So you're here that we're asking the Lord to bless the dinner as well. But uh, after we're done we'll be back up here in an hour. And we'll be able to enjoy what Dr. Vargas has to bring us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. What a precious gift you have given to us to hold in our hands. To read about these things in the past, yes. The men and women of faith, yes. But to read and learn about you and your faithfulness to us. Your love for us. To read verses that speak of God demonstrating his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To read verses that say, though our sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. To read again that by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works. So we don't boast. We just realize, Lord, that Every word, every page is true. And it comes from your hand. And it's a message straight to our heart every single time. And I just pray, Lord, that you might inject within us all a love for your word. Where we can't get enough. We have to have it day by day. Not out of superstition. Not out of obligation. But out of love. Teach us to love your word, Lord. Because you love us. And you gave it to us, and you nourish us in it, and you cherish us in it, and we praise you for that. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And as we go down to the other room and share a fellowship meal together, thank you, Lord, for that, too. And for providing for us not only the spiritual food we need, but also the physical things as well. The fellowship we can share and all that goes on around that table. May it be glorifying in your ears and in your sight. And may it be nourishing for us as well as we gather again within an hour or so and we spend more time in your word. Thank you for the precious, precious gifts you give to us. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Paul.